Welcome to PNC C-Speak, the language of executives. I'm John Bernstein, Regional President of PNC Bank in New England, alongside my co-host, Carolyn Jones, publisher of the Boston Business Journal. Thanks, John. It's great to be with you on PNC C-Speak. Each podcast features local executives talking about relevant and timely business topics. This knowledge sharing platform showcases leaders with forward-thinking approaches that disrupt the status quo and cause us to think differently. Our guest today is Monik Alawalia, President and CEO of Aqueduct Technologies. Monik, welcome. Thank you, John. Thank you, Carolyn. Thank you for having me today. Great to see you. Glad you could join us today. I'd love if you could start off, if you just tell us a bit about yourself. What are three words that your colleagues would use to describe you? It's a good question, John. It's always tough to figure out if people are going to categorize yourself. I would, I would hope that they think I'm fun. Uh, I'd hope they'd think I'm passionate and really see the passion that I have around uh, the business and the people that I have around me uh, and, and trusted. You know, I think uh, trust is a, is a pretty big thing for me. And I think that's one that I would hope that uh, people would use to describe myself. Fun is always a key factor as well, for sure. You know, we'd love to hear a little bit more about you and about Aqueduct. You know, you founded the company in 2011 and have had really tremendous growth over that time and has also created just such a great workplace. So can you share a little bit about that start and about some of the experience that have shaped who you are and your vision for the company? Sure. No, absolutely. So I, so you're correct. We just celebrated our 10-year anniversary a couple of days ago. And we are excited, hopefully post-COVID, to be able to have some type of a celebration associated with that. I think the start of Aqueduct was probably timed with many life events for myself as well. So, you know, today I'm a, a father of three. My children are 14, 12, and 10 years old. Uh, so you can kind of see the timing of that being 10 years was was right in the middle of uh, of having a very young family. Um, you know, I, I have I've always had a passion for the business that we're in. Uh, we've been living in the Boston or greater Boston area since 2004 when I got married. Me and my wife relocated up here pretty shortly after our, uh, our wedding uh, and had been transplants ever since and, and have now raised a, a family or continue to raise a family up here. Um, I think for the start of the business, you know, I think was a culmination of a couple of things. I think we really saw an opportunity to build a pretty good brand and business uh, and really take advantage of, you know, different things that we were seeing in industry at the time. Um, I had a desire to be home and not traveling as much and figured if there was ever a good time, I don't think there's ever a good time, but there was ever a good time to give it a shot, it would be then. Um, and, and I had the energy, passion and drive um, to go ahead and do it. So I think all that stuff kind of really came together uh, in, in us really launching the business at that time. And, and it's been a phenomenal ride. It continues to be a phenomenal ride. And we're very much looking forward to the next 10 years of Aqueduct. You know what, before John jumps into the next question, I wonder, can you just for our you know listeners, tell us exactly sort of what the product is, what Aqueduct does? Sure. We're what's considered a technology solutions provider. Uh, the business has evolved over time, as has the industry. But for the most part, we really help our customers maximize the value they get out of their applications, uh, security and collaboration technologies, leveraging everything that you can think of from the leading manufacturers to cloud services. Great. Thank you. Have the challenges of the pandemic influenced or shifted how you lead or how you look at things in the business community for long term? I think the world has probably forever changed. And I think everything else that goes along with it, um, I, I think we had some of the benefits of being a tech company. So being remote, leveraging the tools and technologies to keep us productive and collaborative were not foreign to us. So we didn't really have a major shift in trying to uh, 
re-engineer the organization for the new norm. Uh, I think for us, uh, a lot of it was really about how do we deliver the type of services that had traditionally been taking place at our customers' locations to a remote model. And for many of our customers, they uh, they pivoted the type of technologies they were using into things that were already in our portfolio, just the concentration swung very heavily to things that they were going to consume more as a service and in the cloud, as opposed to the, um, the the big iron that they would typically purchase and put at their own locations. So I think from an organizational perspective, we saw a burst uh, in certain areas of our business. We saw a decline in others, but they normalized well. Uh, the organization was used to working in a remote fashion, uh, and we've got a phenomenal culture that's really not dictated by having to be in person that, you know, just continued to persevere and did a phenomenal job. Now, business continued to run along well enough that we didn't have any impact to the employees. Uh, we continued all of our programs. We didn't have any furloughs. We didn't have any salary cuts. We still had our, our end of year bonuses. And 2021 was really a banner year for the organization. We saw a significant acceleration in companies starting to invest in technologies as they saw kind of the end of the pandemic in sight. And I think there was a lot of money sitting on the sidelines that wanted to get put toward technology. So we were coming off of uh, the best year in history. 2020 was a slight dip from 2019, but 2021 was a phenomenal year. It's we're, we're still closing out the books on it, but even before you know October, we were ready into our best year ever. So we know we had a phenomenal year and a lot of that momentum's carrying into 2022 for us as well. Monik, we understand that in recent years, both the BBJ and the Boston Globe have named Aqueduct as a best place to work. What do you attribute this award to? Yeah, you know, I think the organization needs to have a set of core values that it can really pride itself on and that can really be owned by all the employees that are here and the ones that we want to uh, potentially uh, attract to come join our organization. So there's a big focus around the development of an individual, both personally and professionally, and also giving them the ability and the tools to uh, impact their local community. So, you know, our, our head of HR would tell you that, you know, we really categorize them to learn teach, care, and impact. And I think the organization feeds on that. And I think we continue to look at ways to uh, evolve our programs to the benefit of the employees. Uh, and I kind of view that the employees really set the tone now of really how, how we want to act and operate and kind of what's acceptable. And I think we set some very good precedents and role models within the organization of what's expected behavior. Uh, and we really haven't had to, uh, to, to really deviate from it. We don't usually put up with a lot of uh, challenges to that uh, culture. So I think that's really been rewarding. I think every year as the business has been successful, it's opened up opportunities for people to accelerate their careers there. It's also given us the ability to uh, further reinvest in them and, and things that are personally rewarding for them as well. So success tends to breed success when you've got a good culture that people really enjoy being in. The retention levels are high. They tend to advocate and enjoy working here. And I think the camaraderie is, is one of the big reasons that we continue to be one of the best places to work. I love the learn, teach, care, and impact. I think those are awesome. I think I remember having a conversation sometime during the last year, I think, with, with your head of HR, and I was really impressed by that. It's just such a core. You can just tell how much it's uh, in, inside everything you do. You've covered a lot of what my next question was going to be, but if you have anything to add, recruitment and retention you know, is so critical. And I think you've talked a little bit about how you create that employee experience and a great culture, but do you want to speak at all about any challenges or perhaps great insights you might have about recruitment and retention? Is that a challenge? Yeah, you know, I think recruitment and retention are always a challenge for every organization. We've been lucky to be able to retain uh, at a very high level. 
And I think we've always been a really good spot for people that were tech minded and kind of wanted to work in our space of really being the best place for them to, to end up from a career perspective. So I don't think we have the level of impact that some of the peers that we talk to in the industry are having. What I will tell you, it's been a little bit unique. And, you know, the management team sometimes laugh when I say this. I think there is definitely an element of in-person that you can't replace with the remote work. So I think there's some level of collaboration, some level of uh, teamwork that lends better to being in-person. And I think a lot of relationships develop from the informal meetings or the casual conversations you have as opposed to the structured ones that you have. So I think there is definitely um, some type of a hybrid approach that makes the most sense for most organizations. Um, what we also though identify is that many people's concepts of what is personally important to them in having a job today is different than it was two or three years ago. So we've really tried to find that happy medium of ensuring that we can uh, align people to be as productive and happy as possible and still keep the culture and the camaraderie and the collaboration at a level where it's continuing to advance the organization forward. I will tell you that some of the interesting things that pop up is we see less dissenting opinion at the management level. I've almost teased my uh, my leadership team about it is that, you know, when we're in a room and they can kind of sense the body language and they know the demeanor of individuals before they came in the room, they're more apt to throw out the off the wall comment or the, uh, the the challenge to the status quo. And I think a lot of times those things tend to bring up some of our best advancements. Um, everybody seems to be too happy and, and, and gets along way too well on a remote call. So I have challenged them a little bit to kind of step out of that comfort zone and kind of feel like we're, we're back together um, because things for a while were just too much of a, this is great, let's move forward. And I was like, it was never this great. It's never this great, <laughs> right? I, I get that things are going well, but you know, the, the reason that we have such a strong leadership team is to be able to every now and then provide those alternative uh, views and impact and, and challenge the status quo. I also think that the feedback that we would get from employees was really valuable. And a lot of times that happened informally. So we've really tried to cultivate a way of getting some touch points more than an informal way to kind of keep those dialogues flowing. Uh, and we've been able to kind of carve out some pet projects for individuals as well so they can kind of step into their own a way of really showcasing you know, ways that they can impact the organization positively. Yeah, that's really interesting You know that people are, are sort of nicer over Zoom, I guess. <laughs> So shifting to yourself a little bit, what would you say in your journey, what is some of the best advice that you've been given? You know, it could be about taking on new roles, starting your business, um, you know, or keeping true to your core values. Uh, what is some of the best advice you've gotten from others? Yeah, you know, I think there's a couple uh, along the way. I think, you know, it, I think most of us kind of learn who we want to be from negative experiences and positive experiences. And I think sometimes that really helps kind of build a foundation of who we are. So, you know, I think one thing that's clear is that, your core values and ethics are not deterministic, right? They, they can't change because you had a bad day, you're at a bad interaction. That's who you are. You need to be true to them uh, and you need to be consistent in them. So I think that's that's a big one for us is, uh, you know, higher lows, you know, there there's a certain level of uh, personality traits and expectations that we have of the way that we want to operate and the way that we want to be treated. And we really got to make sure that that's an effect for everybody else. I think if um, there's a desire to do something, you know, there's an expectation that you'll do that with full energy and, and you'll really commit to it. And then every now and then you'll need to look yourself in the mirror and realize that maybe what you're currently, you know, doing um, 
may not work out the way that you wanted to. So you've also got to be able to accept failure. Hopefully you have a lot more successes than failure, but I think the reality of it is, is that we learn a lot from the failures and, and we really want to kind of build upon those. So I think those are like two, two of the really big ones. Um, you know, I remind people all the time that, you know, in many cases, some of us talk or see each other more than we see our own families. So you want to be happy when you come to work, right? You know, there's, there's no point of working up in the morning and, and, and not having a positive day. You know, we also, I think in tenure and uh, with time in business that, you know, especially for some of the people newer in career or newer managers, it can sometimes feel like the sky is falling uh, based on the, the circumstance of the day. And I think we've learned to see that inevitably everything always works out better. And now we've got a lot more reference and case studies that we can kind of share with them of really what our own experiences have been. You know, I also tend to like to tell people that I'm purposely not giving you the answer, but I'm giving you at least the way my mind would work toward a problem. But everybody's unique and you need to solve them in the way that is best equipped for you to solve them. If, if I wanted you to solve it the way that I was solving it, I'd have to clone myself. And I actually don't think I'd want to even work with myself. So it's, you know, it's... Uh, <laughs> It's interesting, you know, we're, we're all in a people business and it's all about people relationships and people interactions for a positive outcome. The, the positive outcome is a byproduct of how well we work as an effective team. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, is there any other key piece of advice that you would give to business leaders, perhaps to other C-suite leaders and perhaps that next generation of new execs? What would you tell them? Yeah, you know, I think you need to define what your success is for yourself, as opposed to having others paint you, uh, you know, a, a vision of what that success ultimately is going to be. I think there's you're going to find something to be the balance of what you feel a success is going to look like. And then you need to be true to that. You know, there's a reason that many individuals end up as entrepreneurs, executives, there's some spirit, there's some thought, there's some intellect, there's some relationship, there's some bag of money. There's some reason out there that they end up in the circumstances they end up in. And you're going to find that over time, you'll probably have more naysayers than people that are going to positively push you along. So you really want to be true to yourself and be able to kind of measure and, and continue to move and advance yourself within reason. And I think that's an important thing for, for any executive uh, and any entrepreneur. I think you need to realize that the more and more uh, that your role expands or your organization expands, the less of it is to do with the success is less to do with you, but more about what you allow others to kind of elevate and, and push forward with you as well. So I think that's an, another you know key component of it. You can set vision and strategy, but you can't execute your company, your team executes. Yeah, I love that. Define your vision of success. Help your employees and help your team members understand that. What's amazing, Monica, is you've been really dedicated to promoting STEM in Massachusetts. If you could tell us a little bit how that's part of your vision of success. I'd love to hear that initiative that you're taking. I will tell you that I don't think this is a bad term. You know, I know a lot of things are PC, but I think we're a lot of us are geeks and nerds at heart within our company. We're, we're technologists. We have a passion for the technology. I think unique about the business that we're in is it's things that didn't exist five to 10 years ago. So, you know, many of the individuals in our organization have developed skills on their own through hobbies and then applied it to real world scenarios and, and had the right type of uh training to kind of develop themselves. Uh, I don't think it takes a lot with what's available online these days to really see the light bulb go off for a kid. You know, so whether it's robotics, whether it's programming, whether it's gaming, uh, whether it's even mathematics, there are so many little things that can quickly turn your sight onto wanting a career in science and technology and engineering. And frankly, the world advances because of the passion that people have in those specific areas. So we've been very big in both 
when my kids were younger, not that they're they're old now, but you know, it was very difficult to explain to them what we did every day. Um, you know, my mother would still call me and ask me why she couldn't print or connect to Wi-Fi. And then when I couldn't help her, she thought that I couldn't really run a technology company. And the kids answer would typically be like, I think my dad plays with computers all day, but I'm not exactly sure what he does on it. So we really started embracing more of how do we get them to come in and start participating in STEM days and getting out to local museums and, and local activities and really show them the power of what we're doing and show them the interest and love that we have in it. So it kind of started that way. And then it started incubating into the local communities and the uh, the local science centers and things like that as well. Uh, and it's been a big focus for us. You know, we've also had a big focus around the arts. You know, a lot of times people that have good uh, technical mindsets also tend to have really big um uh, you know, mindsets toward the arts. And there's been a big focus for us with helping organizations like the Boston Symphony uh, and other uh, arts-minded organizations in the area as well continue to promote their mission. In promoting the mission, you've gone one step further than most companies, which is really impressive. You've, I understand that you have 10% of Aqueduct Technologies profits get allocated towards community investments. They do, yeah. And, and I think that's a big focal point for us. You know, we live in this community, we work in this community, we uh, and we continue to help uh, drive, you know, things that are personally important to us in the community. You know, one of the things that we do from an organizational perspective is we have certain um, entities and organizations that we at the corporate level like to support, but we also found that many of the employees shared similar passions. So we've really split our donation bucket half to the company and half to the employees. So many of the employees are now personally involved in things in their community or fundraising projects that, you know, they find to be fulfilling for themselves. Some of them travel international to build habitats for individuals. Some of them do bike races here. Some of them raise money for, for cancer awareness. Some of them have been personally affected by something that they're able to now really go and donate that. So between cash and giving them days off to specifically put toward charitable missions, it, it's been a big focus for us. And I think that's part of the care and impact component of our organization. That's really impressive. I mean, and uh, you know, it's not like you're a huge, huge giant organization either. That's impressive and a great model for everyone. We appreciate that. For sure. Uh, you know, as we all know, the times that we're in now have been uh, turbulent, to say the least, uncertain, to say the least. And, and we all keep hoping for sunny skies ahead. But I wonder, can you share some of your observations on the economy and on the future outlook for Boston? Yeah, so I think Boston's going to be fine. Uh, so I'm, I'm not overly worried about Boston. I think we have a tremendous, diverse uh, economic climate here. And I think that the people uh, are diverse. And I think there's a lot of things here that prevent us from having a a cyclical event like you may see in oil and gas in different regions of the country. Um, we have you know, one of the best healthcare systems. We've got one of the best higher ed systems. We've got some of the better finance and asset management. We've got some of the best biopharma. You start combining those different entities together, innovation happens and it happens in a big way uh, here specifically. We are finding that, you know, we love the vibrance of the city. I mean, I'm, I'm sure many of us that, that live here have seen just South Boston and what's happened there over the last 10 years. I think the energy was back in the back bay. We're seeing massive construction on the North Station side. We're seeing a lot of stuff on the Fenway side, too. So I think Boston's rebounding. And once we get past COVID, I think it's going to be an exciting place to be. Um, and on depending on the weekends and the level of uh, COVID infections, it's already becoming a, a pretty happening place to be. And I'm looking forward to a, a spring there. I think from an economic perspective, I think there are a very significant amount of born in the cloud or technology and biopharma companies that are really starting to drive growth within the region. And I think our higher ed institutions here have historically put out the best and brightest into the world, um, but they haven't stayed in Boston. And I think that's always been kind of the, the knock on it. We had a lot of international 
international students come here and then leave. We had a lot of people from around the country get educated here uh, and then go back to where they were from. We're finding them that they're sticking now. So we're and we're finding that very large organizations want to be into Boston to basically latch into the money pool and the talent pool. And, and I think those all go really well from uh, from a city perspective. We're seeing significant spend in general for things that are forward thinking, investments in technology, investments in infrastructure, investments in people. I think when you start combining all those different elements together, we're, we're here for some very exciting things in the future. To expand perhaps on that a little bit, but we talked about what you do personally and what Aqueduct does personally as an organization, but what role do you feel that you and your peers have in driving the city's growth or in driving our economy? What is the role of business and community? How do you see that? Well, I think it's a joint investment, right? I mean, ultimately, as we grow, we need to be helping uh, develop the local talent to to be part of that growth strategy with us. Where we can invest locally, we should be investing locally. Uh, where we're making uh, investment decisions, the more that we can put into this region, the, the better off we are. Uh, the more that we can promote other organizations and institutions within the area, I, I think are beneficial as well. So I think you'll see that there's a lot of that that's going on. I know there's been a lot of um, diversity initiatives that have been taking place with a lot of our companies and peers. I'm also you know, excited about seeing things like Michelle Wu recently becoming mayor Boston. That's a very different look um, than historically has been for mayor, both in gender, her views, her age, her ethnicity. So I, I think it's an exciting time to kind of see this really change in Boston and kind of the embracing of all the things that have really been built upon over the last you know, 10, 15 years. You sound optimistic. What's your outlook for Boston? I think everyone's got a very positive outlook. I think Boston is back. Boston will be back better than ever. And I think, um, you know, I'm, I'm excited about what 2022 holds for all of us collectively. Yeah, it's an exciting time to be here. Well, we'd like to close with some rapid fire questions. Monica, are you ready? I sure <laughs> hope so. <laughs> okay. All right, here we go. Off the top of your head, what are you currently reading or watching? So I just finished a book by Bob Iger, uh, Ride of a Lifetime, uh, which, which I found to be phenomenal. I actually did it on the audiobook version of it. Um, and he was the, uh, the person actually narrated. I found that book to be, uh, for me personally, I, I think as a leader, as somebody that's an empathetic leader like him hit home. I think in addition to that, you know, somebody that not only got to, uh, run Disney, but then convinced George Lucas to hand over Lucas films to him to convince Steve Jobs to hand over Pixar to him <laughs> and Stan Lee hand over Marvel to him is a story in itself. So I think seeing how Disney has uh, transformed the last 10 years and the role that it's played in my kid's life and their personal passion was, was, uh, was a great read. It's a bit of a tearjerker to some parts. So I will warn you it's, that first chapter is a little rough to get through. And I, challenge you to not cry, just like I challenge you not to cry at the end of Toy Story 3. But nonetheless, <laughs> that's a, a phenomenal book. Watching TV. So, you know, a lot of it has been, you know, more binge oriented stuff, um, you know, things that I can download when I'm on a plane. I just completed um, the second season of World War II in color on Netflix, which I found to be a great series and a little bit of a different perspective of some of the, the micro battles that you typically haven't seen or some of the stuff that was going on uh, one level below the, the presidents. And then um, I just wrapped up the season of Curb Your Enthusiasm, which is a funny show that I, I like to watch. I think it's been on for almost 20 years at this point in time. So those are the type of things that I'll typically read and watch if it's not related to technology or things for my job. That's great. Yeah, Disney's still a big part of my life right now. My kids, maybe, but my, my life, absolutely. Yeah. Who's a Boston leader organization that you watch? 
I am obviously very interested to see how Michelle Wu does and, and really what her uh, agenda is going to be and, and how Boston embraces that. So that's one that I'm, I'm definitely looking at. I still like all the local sports teams. You know, I'm, I'm curious to see what Mr. Belichick does here with the Patriots and if we get a, a pretty decent playoff run. That's probably what takes most of my time and kind of where my attention is focused. What's a favorite spot in the city? I don't know if I have per se a specific spot. I, I love, you know, bar hopping and drinking, you know, down Newberry <laughs> Street in the summer. Steaks in the back bay, you can never go wrong. There's always some good sushi spots. I'm still uh, dealing with the kids' shuffles after work, client dinners and things along those lines. We're headquartered in Waltham. I don't venture into Boston as much as I used to just because of COVID and most of my customers that I would see in Boston don't work in Boston anymore. Um, but I'm hoping that this summer will give us an opportunity to get back in there a couple of days a week. Yeah, I hope so as well. What makes you laugh? To be honest with you, a lot makes me laugh. You know, I think I find uh, humor in almost everything. Even in, in negative situations, people typically will look at me and wonder what I find funny about it. And there's always some level of humor, um, you know, I think that you can draw from that. I think of late, a lot of it's probably been more related to things that my kids say or do. Uh, or me starting to sound more like my parents and my communications with them, where I'll, I'll chuckle about it you know, after the fact. But that's that's probably a lot of what's making me laugh these days. Is there a moment of levity with the team at work that you could share with us? Something that happened recently or in the past year? Oh, moment of levity with the team. That's That's a good question. You know, I think a lot of it is just sharing stories of what the experience is like being home, right? We're basically all house husbands and housewives now. We're, we're chauffeurs, you know, we're picking up chores and responsibilities. So I think it's just a tidbit of, you know, what you did this morning that got you in the doghouse, uh, what your kids are up to. You know, I think we're all used to the dogs barking and the kids screaming. And, you know, my kids just came in from playing in the snow in the backyard and I could have swore someone's going to barge this door open. So, uh, you know, I think those are all kind of the moments of levity where it just, it's just understood these days. Right. You know, two years ago, you'd be freaking out if you heard barking in the background and you'd be asking the dog to be put in the backyard. And now we just we have a we basically all work in each other's homes. And I think we all tend to embrace and see things in the background or curious of what you ate and what you make and didn't realize you were a gourmet chef. So we have conversations like that all the time. There'll be times where we'll pick up calls at five o'clock and just say, why don't you make a drink? I want to see what you make. I want to see how you make it, what you make it. You know, how do you cool off at the end of work? You know, walk me through what your day looks like. Um, you know, and then there'll be times it's like, hey, I need five minutes. My kid just got home. I got to work out the homework plan, tell them what's ready to be eaten. I'll be back in five minutes. You know, so I think those are all the moments of levity we have. It's all these micro moments through the years uh, of us just getting through this shared experience together and not kind of just moving on. And finally, what's a wish you have for Boston? I want to see the energy and the vibrancy back in the city. It's depressing for me to walk down, you know, the financial district and see restaurants that couldn't seat us for four hours have complete vacancy and availability and, and, and people not on the streets and really enjoying all the, the great things that Boston can bring and, and hoping that we're not that far around the corner from getting back to that. And that wraps up our time together. Thank you so much for joining us, Monique, and for sharing your insights. Thank you very much for having me. And Monique, thank you. Really appreciate it. It was fun. Thanks. I'm John Bernstein. And I'm Carolyn Jones, and this is C-Speak, the language of executives. Our guest today was Monik Alawalia, president and CEO of Aqueduct Technologies. You can find PNC C-Speak at bizjournals.com backslash Boston or on any of your favorite podcast platforms. Until next time. You've been listening to PNC C-Speak, the language of executives. This podcast and other engaging episodes can be found at bizjournals.com slash Boston. Search PNC. Subscribe at the Boston Business Journal, Apple Podcasts, 
Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. Come back soon and join us for another PNC C-Speak.